0: Hey everybody, we'd like to welcome you to the Ewok Podcast. We hope your day's going good. This is the official podcast of the East Wilton Union Church located in Wilton, Maine. And today we're going to hear a message from Robbie Locke, our senior pastor. We hope that it's a blessing to your life and that God uses it to help you walk closer with him. And our prayer is that you would grow closer to him in truth and in love. Well, without further ado, here's Pastor Rodney. We began a verse-by-verse
1: exposition of this book last week, and I gave an introduction to the book, the history, the background of the church, and so on. not going to review any of that. We began in chapter 1 and verse 1, and all we got through was verse 1 because the introduction was fairly long, uh, and so we just barely have started into this book. But I want to remind you the purpose of this epistle. Every letter that Paul wrote had a specific purpose behind it. Now sometimes they had several purposes, but generally there is one prevailing theme that will go through an entire epistle. And in Colossians, that theme is this, the total sufficiency of Jesus Christ. That he is supreme over all and he's absolutely sufficient. And in two particular areas, he's absolutely sufficient in salvation. You don't add anything to what Jesus accomplished on the cross. He did enough. He did everything to make salvation possible. We simply receive the gift by faith in surrendering our lives to the Lord. But Jesus Christ is also sufficient in the Christian life. You and I had no power to save ourselves. And we have no power to live the Christian life. I don't know about you, but I get up in the morning and one of the very first things I do is I cry out to God for help because I know that unless He begins immediately to help me, it won't be long before either in my mind or in my words or in my deeds or in my motives or in my attitudes, in some way I will find myself sinning. And I need His help. And Jesus Christ will be found in the epistle to the Colossians, as sufficient not only to save us and to get us to heaven, but to keep us all along the way and to enable us to live the Christian life for the glory of God. And so that's the main theme, and we want to pick up and begin to work our way through this book and see how that applies in our lives on a day-by-day basis. Let's just bow for prayer and ask God for help. Lord, right now I need your help. I need your help, Lord, to be able to proclaim the truth of the Word of God in a way that will honor you, that will be in agreement with the truth as revealed in Holy Scripture. Lord, I pray that what I say will truly reflect your eternal Word and that it will bring about a transformation in every one of our lives there's anyone here, Lord, that truly needs to be saved, it is my prayer that today will be the day they come to know Jesus in a personal way. And Lord, for those of us who name the name of Jesus Christ, help us to remember, Lord, that we are not sufficient of ourselves to think anything of ourselves. Our sufficiency is of God. And we need you to help us in living the Christian life. So Lord, teach us. And we'll be careful to praise you for Jesus' sake. Amen. Now, last week, I just want to remind you that we began in chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, the inscription to the epistle. And we talked last week about the apostolic greeting. Now, let me read it for you. Colossians 1, 1 to 2. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. To the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. As I said last week, we need to remember that while we often think of these as books of the Bible, even using the word epistles, you need to remember that these are actually letters. They are personal letters. And the Apostle Paul begins in the form that they did. And we covered this last week, I just mentioned it. That he begins this letter identifying himself, which was how they did it back in the day. When you wrote a personal letter, you started with your name so they knew who was writing. Then you address the people that you're writing to. Then you have the main body of the letter. And then you have closing comments at the end. Paul is the servant referred to here in verse one Paul the word Paul means does anyone remember what it means from last week little Paul means little and I said it's interesting that Saul who was his name meant demanded sought after and yet Saul, when he was converted the great Saul became what little Paul (laughs) And I think it was the Lord's way of humbling Paul and saying, You are my apostle, my great servant, but remember who you are. Without me, you can do nothing. So Paul is the servant. What was the service that he had? He was an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. An apostle is one who is sent with credentials... As the representative of somebody else. In this case, Paul was sent by Jesus Christ as Jesus' personal representative. And the credentials that he had were the ability to do signs and wonders even as the other apostles did. And so Paul says, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. But notice, by the will of God. Aren't you glad when you know you're in the will of God? Aren't you glad when you know you're doing the will of God, that you're pleasing Him? Paul said, listen, I've been called, I've been sent by the Lord, and it's all within the perfect will of God. And then when we closed last time, we saw the servant's assistant. And his assistant was named Timothy, also called Timotheus. Timothy means honored or valued by God. And yet Timothy here, he's no apostle. Paul says he's our what? He's our brother. He's part of the faith. He's a, he's a child of God, and that's a wonderful thing. But what he's saying is, Timothy, I want you to remember something. You may be just a simple brother in the faith, but I want you to know that you are honored and valued by God. Isn't that great? You don't have to be an Apostle Paul to be used by God. Guess who you can be? Say your name out loud. Three of you did that. I appreciate that so much. All you have to be is you clean spiritually and surrendered to the control of the Holy Spirit. And if you are, God can use you in mighty ways. All right, we're going to pick up finally moving into our message. I want you to notice here also that he refers to the saints and the faithful brethren. Now, this word saints is a word that is often confused. A lot of people when they think of a saint comes to their mind the image of Someone who has been recognized as some great spiritual person. In fact, they believe that they were so exalted by God that they actually are in heaven right now and can hear our prayers and communicate our prayers to God. Well, that's not the way the word saint is used in the Bible. Religions use the word saint in that way, but not the Bible. The word saints literally is the Greek word hagios and it means the fundamental word is separated. Separated. Separated or set apart from sin and set apart to God for a divine purpose. That's why every one of us who name the name of Jesus Christ, if we're truly saved, in the eyes of God, we are saints. Because the day God saved us, he separated us, he set us apart from our sinful lifestyle from the past, and he set us apart unto God to live now for the purpose of God. Folks, we are saints today. Adjust your halo a little. No, I'm just kidding. But we are, in the eyes of God, saints. What is biblical sanctification? Let me give you a definition here. I just want to walk through this real quickly. Understand that sanctification is a work of the Holy Spirit. You do not sanctify yourself. The Holy Spirit sanctifies you. You have to cooperate with the Spirit. He won't force the image of Christ to be produced in you, but he will produce it in you if you will cooperate with him in his work. It's the act of the Holy Spirit setting apart for God, the sinner who has been elected to salvation, taking him out of the first Adam and placing him into the last Adam. Now, this is what we call positional sanctification. It's the position we hold in Christ seated in heavenly places at the right hand of the throne of God. You are in heaven already. How many wondered about that this last week? Heaven's not here. But Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. And the Bible says, and I love this, this is a phrase in Colossians. Our lives are hid. With Christ in God. Wow! That puts a tingle up my spine. I'm hid with Christ in God. I have been positionally sanctified, set apart, and He's never going to lose me. Jesus said to the Father, He said, All that you have given to me have come to me, and I will lose none of them. Praise God. So we are taken out of Adam and placed into the last Adam, into Christ. This is positional sanctification, an act performed once for all the moment the sinner places his faith in the Lord Jesus as Savior. Positional sanctification has already been accomplished. It is practical sanctification That is in process. That's you and I living here in this world. Becoming more like Jesus over time. Obeying his word more. Living in the light of his truth more. Loving others more. And so forth. We are saints. We've been set apart to the Lord. But notice here it also says. That they are faithful brethren. Now what I want you to notice. Is that while the phrase, or the word saints, and the phrase faithful brethren are separated by the word and, in the original language, the word and literally here should be even, E-V-E-N. In other words, we are saints, even, faithful brethren. To be a faithful brother or sister means to be someone who is steadfast who is trustworthy, who is unswerving. You need to remember that Paul is writing to the Colossians in part to correct some false doctrine that had risen up in the church. And he's writing them and he's going to be very strong in some of the statements that he makes. But he begins this letter by talking to the brethren there and he says, in effect, brethren, I want you to know I'm believing good things about you. You are saints. If you're truly saved, you are a saint positionally and you are in the process of becoming a steadfast, trustworthy, unswervingly faithful believer. And none of us has reached the goal yet but it is the process that we are in and so we need to be not only saints we need to be faithful brethren and that's not two categories you aren't there's a group of saints over here and there's a group of faithful brethren over here no those things go together in one now paul finishes the opening of this letter with a salutation and this is a very familiar one grace to you And peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I want you to notice with me, first of all, that there's a blessing. Actually, there's two blessings. And then we're going to look at who the bestower of the blessings is. The first blessing is the blessing of grace. Grace and peace. Grace refers to a favor. In this case, we're talking about God's favor. A favor conferred freely. In other words, if grace is shown to you, you do nothing to deserve it or to pay for it. It's freely given. That's what grace is. A favor conferred freely with no expectation of return. Listen, if God only did for us because we would in turn do for him, we'd be in trouble. He does for us even when we don't do for him. Because he's a God of grace. Now does he want us to be obedient? Of course he does. Does he want us to be submissive? Of course he does. But he also knows being human beings there are going to be times when we fail. And he knows we need his grace. Notice what it says here. No expectation of return. And finding its only motive. This is very important. It's only motive in the bounty and free-heartedness of the giver. In other words, grace is shown because of the one giving the grace, not because of the ones receiving the grace. You and I will never be worthy, impossible, of the grace of God. That's why he gives us a gift that costs us nothing, but cost Christ everything. So he offers us grace. Now, the word grace in the Bible is used in several different ways. First of all, and real quick, saving grace. We know about that. That's probably the one we're most familiar with. For by grace you have been saved through what? Through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. In other words, if we're saved today, it's because God has done a work in us and not because we've done a work for ourselves or for God. God shows His grace, something I don't deserve, and He saves me through faith in His Son. And He says, it's not of yourselves. You contribute nothing to your salvation. That's why religion has no value in salvation. Not only saving grace, but the Bible teaches enabling grace. This is during the Christian life. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, Paul says, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. He's talking about suffering that he was going through. And he said the Lord came to him and, and Paul wanted his problem gone. How many of you would like all your problems gone? I mean, wouldn't we? If you had a sign-up sheet at the back, sign here, and all your problems will be gone. I'll bet you anything, we'd have a line at the door afterwards. Now, when we ask you to bring a pie for the social, we don't always get everybody in line, you know. But if it were God's grace to enable you to face whatever life brings your way, of course we'd want that, wouldn't we? Well, aren't you glad that he offers us enabling grace? The Bible also talks about serving grace. Romans 12, 6. Having then gifts, spiritual gifts, differing according to the what? The grace that is given unto us. The idea is this. Maybe five different people have the gift of teaching, but God's grace to them is different in each individual case. Someone might be a good public speaker. The other one might be a good one-on-one teacher. The other one might be effective in a small group. It's according to the grace that God gives you. So he says, let us use those gifts. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. And it goes on to say, if ministry. He's talking about two basic kinds of gifts. Public ministry gifts that are talking gifts, like preaching and teaching and so on. And then there are private, behind-the-scenes ministry gifts. And the fact that you're not a preacher or teacher of the Word of God makes you no less important in the body of Christ. God has placed everyone in the body where He wants us to be. And so if your spiritual gift is coming alongside someone in trouble and giving them a word of encouragement, that is a spiritual gift by the way. I want to tell you something. You will be one of the most favorite people in the church if you live that out in your practice because everybody loves being encouraged, don't we? You do, don't you? Okay. So there's different kinds of grace. But there is a second gift that's offered to us and it's the gift of peace. What is peace? It's that state of untroubled, undisturbed tranquility and well-being Produced in the heart of the yielded saint by the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know about you, but the first time I read this, I thought, well, I hope I get that someday. I mean, would you describe yourself as in a state? A state means a condition. Not a momentary thought. A state of untroubled, undisturbed tranquility and well-being. How many of you like that 24-7? See, I read that. I thought, wow, that part doesn't seem to apply to me. But then I read the rest of it. Because peace is something produced in us. You don't come up with peace. You don't just say, okay, I'm going to click my fingers and be peaceful. Boy, it would be nice if we could do that. But he says, it is being produced, this peace, in the heart of the what kind of saint? The yielded saint. Listen, when you and I are running our lives, we get ourselves into trouble. We're not going to have peace when we're in control, when we're in charge. So we need to yield our lives, and we get this peace through the work of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace. Well, there are a couple of aspects of peace as well. First of all, there's saving peace, what's called peace with God. Therefore, having been justified by faith, that means we've been declared righteous in the eyes of God by faith in Jesus, we have what? Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You want to know why you're accepted before God today? There's one reason and one reason only why you're accepted today. It's because of Jesus. Because of His righteousness, do you know? And this this is something we have to remind ourselves all the time of. At least I have to. When God looks at me from heaven today, like right now, when God is looking at me, when God is looking at you, He sees us as perfectly righteous in Jesus Christ. Now, why is that? It's because on the cross, Jesus took all of our sins, past present, and future, and when he died for them, he paid for them all, and he satisfied the wrath of God against them all, so that when God looks at you and I today, he sees us already in Christ with the finished work of salvation. That's why he'll never throw us away. Now, we know that in a practical sense, we're needing to improve, aren't we? Well, at least your neighbor, right? I mean, we all need to improve. And that is a progressive thing. And by the way, the Bible talks about the fact that we not only have peace with God, but we can have a progressive, ongoing kind of peace, which the Bible calls the peace of God. My peace with God is settled. It'll never change. The peace of God is something I experience when I'm yielded and trusting. Isaiah 26.3 You will keep him in perfect peace whose what? Whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Listen. God has never said you're not going to have trouble. In fact, Jesus said you'll have a world full of it. But he said, be of good cheer. Why? I have overcome the world. When you have your mind and heart stayed upon the Lord Jesus and some terrible thing happens in your life, you look at that circumstance and you say, one thing I know today that even though I'm not in control, God is. And so I can be at peace. I don't know how it will turn out. I had one night it was probably three and a half weeks ago I got up in the night and uh, to use a little boys room and uh, I got about three steps and I knew I was going down I knew it Grabbed the door frame and thought I backed myself back into the room but somehow I got turned around and I backed myself right down the hall and I smashed into the door frame down by my office and then the next thing I knew I was waking up in the middle of the floor in the office and I just remember when I finally came to and I don't know how it wasn't very long but the little bit that I was out when I came to I couldn't get up, not at that point. It took me a while to get my bearings and so on. But I just remember laying there on the floor and saying, Lord, I'm not alone. There's no other human being, knows I'm right now. I'm in the middle of this floor. But you, my Heavenly Father, you know. Help me to get up, get back in all that. Well, actually, I had to get into the bathroom.
0: I still had to do that,
1: brethren. But I got myself into the bathroom and then finally got myself back into bed. But you know what was comfort? You know what brought peace to my heart? What brought peace to my heart was that I knew that he was with me. It wasn't because I hadn't fallen. It wasn't because I hadn't hit my head really hard, which I did. It wasn't because of the circumstances. It was because he knew and he was with me and he finally got me into my bed where I was going to be just fine. And I could say, Lord, you've been with me all along. You've done this. I have peace not because I have some great faith, but I have a consciousness of this. God is with me and God is faithful. He says, Philippians 4, 7, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Somehow I lost some of the verse there. It will keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now, how do we get that peace of God? The previous verse says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. In other words, have a prayer life. And when you go through trouble, cry out to God. And guess what? The minute you cry out to Him and trust in Him, the peace of God, which is beyond human understanding, will keep your heart and your mind. It may not change your circumstances, but it will change you. And it will change me. Now these gifts are wonderful. Grace and peace. And in all of Paul's letters, he offers them. When he writes to an individual like Timothy, he usually adds mercy as well. But that's not here, so we're not going to add it on and talk about it. But sometimes in that initial greeting, the word mercy is used as well. But who bestows mercy? grace, and peace. Well, they come from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I think it's very important that that full phrase be used. Because Jesus taught, particularly in John's Gospel, that you cannot believe in the Father and not believe in the Son at the same time. And you cannot believe in the Son without believing in the Father at the same time. Why? Because they are one. And that has to do with the Trinity and all of that. But what I want you to understand is, we not only have a Father in heaven, we have a Savior who is indwelling us. In fact, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit indwell us. We usually think of the Holy Spirit because it says that he will live in us. And he does. He lives and he's active in our lives. But the Father and the Son also. Jesus said, if you love me and you love my Father, the Father and I will come and we will love you and we will live in you. Isn't that good? And so there's a blessing. Two blessings. And then there's a bestower of those blessings. What time is it? Could somebody just quick tell me? Ten of? Hallelujah. Ten minutes. In about ten minutes somebody do this. Now I didn't say all of ya. Just help me. We don't have our, our... we've had to replace the insides of the clock so that's gonna be coming this week and we'll get the clock back up and then I'll get right with God but until then I just want to move on here and start the next part. I don't believe we'll be able to get through what I had hoped to get through. After the initial greeting to this church, the apostle begins with what I would like to refer to as a commendation of these believers. And Paul expresses his thanks to God in prayer for the believers in Colossae. Colossians 1, 3 to 8 says, We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. Now, I believe that's all I put. Yeah, okay. He said, first of all, I give thanks to the Father and to Jesus. And he said, when do I do that? I don't just walk around and say, you know, I'm thankful to God for you Colossian believers. I can do, could do that. Just like I could say, I'm so thankful for you East Wilton believers. But he said, I express my thanks directly to the Lord, praying always for you, since I heard of your faith, your love, and your hope. Now, my hope was to get through all of those today, but we'll see. Praying. Notice what he says here. Giving thanks to God, praying always for you. This is a very interesting word in the original language. The idea is of definiteness or directness in prayer. In other words, while you're praying, you're conscious of the fact that you're talking face to face with God. It's personal. It's intimate, direct between you and God. He is listening to you, and you are Pouring out your heart to Him. Do you know what prayer can become? Routine. It can be just the repeating of words, the speaking of specific prayer requests, and saying the same thing about those prayer requests every single day. But folks, that's not praying like this. This praying is I am having a conversation face to face with Almighty God and that prayer gives me confidence. 1 John 5, 14 and 15. And this is the confidence that we have in Him. That if we ask anything according to our own will. Is that what it says? No. According to His will he heareth us. Listen, if God has said, this is what I want if you pray for what God wants, it will be done now some prayers that we offer, we don't know the will of God, right? We don't and there's no way for us to know. When somebody gets sick what do we usually pray? We'll say, Lord we want them to get better (laughs) we'll say, Lord heal them Or we'll say, Lord, send them to the right doctor so they get the right medicine. Right? We pray like that. But you know what? It may not be God's will to heal them. Right? Someday we're all going to die. And I have a feeling with all of the issues I have in my body and the things that I'm dealing with, when I die, it won't be just because I'm an old duffer. You know, I'm probably going to die at least in part because of illnesses that I've had for years and the Lord chose not to heal me from. So when I pray for someone, what am I going to ask? I'm going to ask what I want and what I hope. Nothing wrong with that. Absolutely nothing wrong. Lord, heal them. Lord, do whatever you need to do. Get them better. Bring them back to our fellowship. Lord, just work, Lord. But we always have to be willing to leave those issues in the hands of God, who is all-wise. And the healing he gives them may be they're opening their eyes in heaven. <laughs> but when you know it's God's will, when you're positive, why? Because God, in his word, has said what he wants and you pray about that, you can pray with a kind of confidence then that you can't pray when you don't know what the will of God is. He says, we know that He hears us whatever we ask. We know that we have the petitions that we desired of Him. Why? Because we know we've asked according to His will. So when you're praying, you need to distinguish between what you know to be God's will and what you hope to be the will of God. Make sense? In this case, Paul knows what God wants for the Colossian believers. And when he comes, he prays as though face-to-face with God with absolute confidence in his heart. And he thanks God for three things. The first thing, and we'll maybe just get through this one and stop. The first thing that he is thankful for is for their faith. Are you thankful when somebody comes to know Jesus as their Savior? Does that that cause you joy? And isn't it wonderful if that happens to be one of your own family members or a close friend? I mean, that's a blessing, isn't it? And it's wonderful. I mean, I just rejoice to hear people being saved. I have these three... Young men, I've not met any of them, but one of those young men's father, who is uh, from the Philippines, they're all from the Philippines, but was here this last year promoting the ministry over there, trying to raise support and so on. And uh, I had the privilege of finding out about three young men Gaius, El Pidio, and Mateo. And the pastor was asking prayer for them and for some financial support. And I made a little commitment, just a very little one, but I've been sending every month to those guys. But you know what? All three of those fellas, ever since I started helping them, write me every single month with a report on the ministry. They're all pastors, planning churches. They write me every single month with great detail about what the Lord is doing. And there has not been thus far, and it's probably been like Ten months, I've been supporting them. There's not been a month go by that there haven't been several people saved in every one of their ministries. I get those reports, and you know what I do? I thank my God and Father for the faith of those people over there in the Philippines that have gotten saved in just the last month. Paul writes, and he's thankful for that. But notice, it was faith in who? It was faith in Christ Jesus. The object of your faith is more important than your faith. Because if you put the faith in the wrong object, that object can let you down. And your faith will mean nothing. Have you ever put your faith in a person? And had somebody that you put your faith in let you down? They put their faith in who? In Christ Jesus. Because they knew he was the only person who could save. Uh, Charles Spurgeon illustrated the importance of faith's object by telling a story about two men who were out in a boat one day, and they were going down actually um, a, a river, one of these fast ones, you know, where you have to... Uh, usually they have, What do they call that? That... Uh, what white white water rafting you can tell I've never done it white water rafting uh, I make it in and out of my bathtub and that's about as far as I get I'm afraid with water um, but they were going down the river and the boat overturned and both men were thrown into the water and there were others that were out on the side of the river and saw what had happened And those people ran and they happened to have a rope and they grabbed the rope and they threw the rope out toward these two men. Now they were right together. But only one of the men grabbed the rope. The other man grabbed something he thought would be bigger and stronger and would probably assure his safety. There was a huge log that was moving in the water, and as that log came up, he grabbed a hold of the log. The problem is, nobody was on the other end of the log pulling it out of the water. And he ended up going over the falls, and they said his body was never found again. Now, what's the point? The point of his story is this. When you and I put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we know we're sunk, we're going under. We have no hope. Somebody needs to throw us a lifeline. And that's what Jesus did. But what do we often want to do? Trust in ourselves. My religion, my good works, my this, my that, and hopefully at least part of that will contribute to my salvation. And we grab a hold of the big log that looks so strong and powerful and so full of hope to us. And it drags us over the waterfalls. Without hope, you need to grab a hold of the rope that Christ offers. Paul is thankful to God for their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. These Colossians are not like those who distort The gospel. Remember in Galatians they did that. They were adding to the gospel. What Jesus did is not enough. You have to be circumcised too. But the Colossians didn't distort the gospel. The Colossians obeyed the gospel. They were not like people who will not obey it. We were talking in Sunday school this morning that with regard to the gospel, often we think that what you do with the gospel is you believe it. And there's a truth in that, that we believe the gospel. But there are people who believe the message of the gospel that still never get saved. They believe Jesus died. They believe he was buried. They believe the third day he rose again from the dead. They may even believe he died for them. But they never take the faith to the step of obedience. Because salvation is not automatic based upon intellectual understanding. The Bible says the demons believe and they tremble. Why? Because they're not savingly believing. They are believing what they know to be true, but they're not trusting in it themselves. The Bible says that those who refuse to obey the gospel will experience, have the terrifying experience of seeing the Lord Jesus revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in what? Flaming fire. Dealing out what? Retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction. Away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. Do you notice what it says here? In order to truly be saved, you must what? Obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus. What does that imply? True saving faith contains repentance and obedience as its elements. And When we talk about repentance, what do we mean by that? Some people think, well, if you repent, you feel sorry. By the way, that's part of it. We should feel sorry for the sins we commit, right? But it's not enough to feel sorry. Because some people feel sorry, but you know what they're sorry about? They got caught. But when you are repenting, truly, it means, first of all, you have to turn to God. You turn toward Him. But you can't turn toward Him without turning away first from evil. You see, I can't go that way and that way at the same time. If I've been going this way and it's the wide road leading to destruction, I must turn around and go this way, which is the narrow way that leads to life. Obeying the gospel says, I understand something. I am a sinner who's been going this way. But now I want to go this way. And I acknowledge immediately, I have no power to change. Because if I had power to change, I would have done it already. But who can change me? God. So I turn away from the sinful lifestyle. I simply turn by faith to him and it's the look of faith as much as to say, God, now I'm looking to you. I'm depending on you. And repentance implies an intention to serve God, to follow God, to live the life that he will lead you into. And that's why a lot of people who profess faith in Christ never get saved because they have no understanding of repentance. It's just, yes, I'm sorry and Jesus come into my heart. No, Jesus says, you know what? Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. That's what Jesus says. There's a price to be paid in following Christ. Oop. I'm going to stop. Let me just... Whoops, did I do the wrong one? There we go. Let me just close with this thought. And I'm pretty positive that certainly most everybody, if not everybody in this place, has professed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But my question to you today is, are you trusting in Jesus and Jesus alone? That's a big one. Or are you trusting in Jesus and your baptism? Or are you trusting in Jesus and trying your best to keep the Ten Commandments? Well, if you add anything to Jesus, it's no longer the grace of Jesus. It's Jesus plus you. And anytime it's plus you and plus me, we mess her up. So have you put your trust in Jesus and Jesus alone? And then secondly, Have you, in the process of putting your trust in Jesus, repented of your sins? Have you said, I was going this way, now I want to go this way, and now, God, I am utterly dependent upon you to transform my life and to change me? Because if you have no intentions of changing, guess what? Guess what? You won't. Right? If you have no concept that my life has to change, and won't. You say, "Whoo, got Jesus too and I can still play. No. Don't work that way. You stop following the world and you start following God through Christ. That's what salvation is. And Paul, he writes to these Colossians and says, You know, I am so thankful. I am so thankful to God. Because remember, he'd never met the Colossians. He'd never been in this city. He'd never met the believers. He only knew their pastor, Epaphras. He'd heard the testimony of this group of people. So he didn't know them. But he says, oh, I'm so thankful to know that in Colossae today, there's a group of people who have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and have been saved. How glorious that is. We ought to be thankful for every brother and sister in the Lord. What a great Savior we have. We will pick up next week and we'll talk about their love and their hope. If Jesus tarries. If he doesn't, I'm flying out of here. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the word of God today. Thank you for the fact that we can approach your throne and ask for your help knowing that it is your will that we understand and that we apply the truths to our lives and so that's what I'm asking Lord I'm asking with confidence because I already know this is your will and it's your will for every single one of us so Lord if there's someone here today who's trusting in Jesus plus something else help them to see Lord that they're not really saved they need to trust in Jesus only and in trusting in Jesus they need to obey the gospel and obeying means we say now I give my heart to Jesus. I can't change but I want him to change me because I know he can. I repent of my sins Lord and I turn to Jesus now make me not only in position but in practice that new creature in Christ. Thank you for all who know Jesus here today. May your blessing be upon them. And Father, as we talk about love and hope next time, expand our understanding of your expectations of us, your people. Dismiss us now with your blessing. In Jesus' name,
0: amen. And this has been the Ewok Podcast with Pastor Robbie Locke. We hope it's been challenging and exuberating and uplifting in your life as it has mine. We hope it helps you walk closer with God and understand him better and the truth he's laid out for us in his word. If you've really enjoyed this sermon or it's had a great impact upon your life, leave us an email or go to our Facebook page or our website and just leave a comment that we might know exactly how it's impacted you. It's very uplifting for us to see those things for it helps us to push forward to continue doing these. Well, that's all I got for time. Until next week, God bless.